your new or existing home is one of your most important assets. Yet too many people rely on sites, shows, and tips from people who are not in the real estate business when making important decisions. It's time to get real and trust a professional. This is Real Real Estate Today with host Deb Tomorrow. In this series, you'll learn about making smart decisions when it comes to buying a home, selling a home, or even staying in the home you're in. Now, here is your host, Realtor Deb Tomorrow. All right, welcome to Real Real Estate Today. I am your host, Deb Tomorrow. I'm a realtor in Bloomington, Indiana, and we are talking about all things real estate related and giving you the real scoop and not just what you see on HG. TV, although we love it, and we love Chip and Joanna, and we're devastated that their show is ending, but she has a cookbook coming out. seems like every day there's a new Chip and Joanna um, announcement. Something, yeah. Something new. Have they said when when their last show will air? No, they said this season's their last season, but I don't know when the season, when that runs. I'm going to guess we've got until next spring to get our fill okay so anyways the other voice you hear on the other side of the mic is miss karen rastel who is the best damn lender in the state of indiana thank you for joining us today karen thanks for having me and uh she's going to prove very very uh, important in today's conversation because i thought we would talk about student loans what you're making the hand gestures oh i'm making that you're setting the bar <laughs> really high the bar. Yes. <laughs> well you know i mean there's just student loans just add a really interesting and sometimes very confusing um you know layer layer, layer that's a good, to the that's mortgage a good, process yeah, that's a good way to frame it layer so we're going to talk about what those some of those layers are but before we get started i wanted to share with you so you had a big flood last year Two years ago. Two, it's been two years it's already? It's been two years. That's coming up on that two-year anniversary, isn't it? Yes, it is. This it, this month. This month, right? I remember that. Well, guess what? Did you have a flood? I had a flood. Oh, my God. It wasn't as massive as yours. Okay. But um, Friday, which was a very, very hectic day for me, I had a cleaning person going over to one of my rental houses. It was the last thing I needed to do before I started advertising it for rent. And she called me and she said... I can't get into the lockbox to get the key. I was like, ah, you know, I had like 20 minutes between appointments. I actually had to be in court at 1.30 for a thing. And so I was like, okay, I can run over there real quick and try and get into the house. Get into the house, let her in. Everything's fine. That I, as far as I know, you know, I just walked in the house for a second, left. And as I'm headed to court, she says, there's something wrong. There's water everywhere in the kitchen. And when I step into the dining room, which is right next to the kitchen, water's coming up between the planks and the floor. Oh, my gosh. Oh, not good, right? Not so good. I am panicked, right? Um, did not. I did okay, but I didn't do as well as I thought. I kind of chastised, chastised myself afterwards and was like, you need to take your own advice. You need to go back and listen to your shows on insurance claims. You need to calm your ass and down. just be a little calmer. Okay. Okay. <laughs> because I was like, and I, well, part of it too was that I was headed into, I had to do this court thing at 1.30 and you can't have cell phones in court, you know, or even to like text or anything. So I'm trying to like get as much communication done as I could before I walked into the courtroom, um, which was fine. I'm not arrested or anything like that. <laughs> That's good to know. Yeah. Um, but, um, and so I first call, let's see, what was my first call to? 
My insurance agent, I think. I was going to say, because it should be, this is what you were telling right, me. Right, and exactly. You call your so I, I called Mindy, who's the best insurance agent, and I, so I texted her, and, um, and then I called my handyman, because I thought he might be the quickest one to get over there to, like, turn the water off right. and, you know, whatever. And it wasn't flooding. It was, there was a problem with the dishwasher. Mm. And it had filled with water somehow. I don't know because the house is vacant. And had kind of seeped out onto the floor. And I don't know how long. I hadn't been in the house in a couple of days. Mm. So I don't know, you know. But it had seeped all the way across the kitchen and halfway into the dining room. And it's a bi-level house. So also the floor. Um, ceiling below didn't come crumbling down but there was certainly moisture I mean we were very very lucky but um, gosh before I knew it uh, and then I called the disaster restoration you know company to come and dry everything out and I think by the time well he was there by the time I got out of court and got back to the house and within probably two hours of me discovering it my whole kitchen floor was gone (laughs) I was like Oh, he goes, and probably the smartest thing he could have said to me, it's going to look worse before it looks better. <laughs> because good. on the surface, it didn't look so bad. You didn't. You just, you know, clean some water up. You don't see what's below. Right. Um, but yeah, when I went back over, I was like, okay, yep. All my kitchen cabinets were gone or, you know, pulled up. Right. And um, so, you know, but I've got great insurance in the sense they've been very, very responsive. And the adjuster called me and then somebody was out yesterday, like an estimator. And um, so we're moving through the process, but uh, definitely eye opening. Gosh, it could have been um, so much Oh, worse. it could have for sure. And um, but that how do you make yourself sort of stop and take a breath and go, OK, think clearly, stop panicking. I think I did okay. I could have done better, but I think I did okay. So we need to ask the cleaning person, right? What were they a part of it? Like, did you say was it who I think it was? Yeah, like, did yeah. you say, oh, can you like go and shut this off? Can you go find out like if there's like a? Well, we didn't. I went and looked for the water main mm. and could not find it. Um. So. That's something that everyone should know where that is. And I don't know that there is one at that house. I think we've always turned it off at the water meter pit in the yard. So, um, yeah. Anyways, good times. Good times. Good times. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I have a very high deductible, so that's not great. But anyways, um, but I'll keep you posted as I learned firsthand about the insurance process. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, which doesn't have anything to do with anyone except that Rachel is not here today, our associate producer who does a lot of the live posting um, on Facebook, uh, and that is because she is she spearheads the Dia de los Muertos. How was that? Day of the Dead mm-hmm. uh, exhibit, which is at the Mathers Museum here in Bloomington. And so I want to talk about that for a second because it's really kind of cool. And I looked into the history a little bit of the Day of the Dead and what that's about. I don't know if you've ever looked into nope. it. It's a tradition that's been around for something like 3,000 years um, with the Aztecs. I think it started with maybe the Aztecs. Um, and in Bloomington, it's running from October 3rd through November 1st. And it's a community altar that's placed in honor of those who have passed away. Um, and it's really like... People think of it as really creepy. One of the big symbols of the Day of the Dead are those what they're called sugar skulls, where people, you know, kind of dress as skulls. And there's, you yes. know, there's that, right? Yes, I've seen Sugar those. skulls, skulls, I can't say that word, uh, is what those are called. Um, but really, in, in some areas, it's actually a very touching 
tradition. And they actually have like picnics in the cemetery at their loved ones' graves. Um, it's just a way to honor and remember them. Uh, but one of the things that they do and, and what we're doing here in Bloomington, what Rachel's done for many years, um, is they have this community altar. And so you're supposed to, in honor of someone who has passed, you bring an item um, a lot of times it's candy. Sometimes it's, you know, like a bottle of their favorite soda pop or their bottle of their favorite beer. It, it could be anything, but something that they would like. Okay. Um, and uh, and you leave it on the altar. But it, what's cool is that it builds every year. So all the items from past years on this community altar. Is still there. Oh, they live in Rachel's basement. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> so every year she has to like, she packs it up. And then this year she brings everything out and they set this altar up. And then they hope that people come and visit, remember their loved ones, okay. add something to the altar. Yeah, they were loading her car up the other day. And I drive by when I go to check my post. Uh, I have a P.O. Box mm-hmm. at a little um, a little tiny post office down out here in the country is across the street from Rachel's house. And they were loading up the car, rolled down the window, and I was I yelled, Day of the Dead, <laughs> out of the window. Because <laughs> I knew that's what she was doing. So that's really, really kind of a cool idea. Um, and, uh, you know, when they carry on the tradition, um, you know, in Mexico, and it spread to um, other parts as well, um, they, you know, they cook things that the their loved one like to eat and, um, you know, yeah. just to kind of as a I've way never, to remember I, I've heard of it here, but I don't hear, like, those details. Yeah, like, and we know, know the sugar school thing, right? And we all feel like it's a little creepy, but it's really not um, if you think about what the, the purpose is. So um, here in Bloomington, Mathers Museum, and I, w- I should have written down the address. Um, I was an anthropology major, so I can tell you. I could take you there because uh, it's on the IU campus. It's at 9th and uh, probably Indiana. Or ninth and done, uh, one of those two. Um, and it's uh, Tuesday through Friday, nine to four thirty, and Saturday and Sunday, one to four thirty. It's their address, four sixteen North Indiana. It's ninth in Indiana. Um, that you can go over. It's completely free to check that out and add something to the community altar if you'd like. It's a really cool uh, tradition for October. We should do that. We should go and do that. We should. Hmm. In our spare time. We're going to go and do that. We have all month. Yeah. We can, we can find an hour <laughs> this month. We should definitely do that to support Rachel, too, because that's really cool. All right. So today we are going to talk about uh, student loans. I wanted to flash back to a few other shows. So get your pen and paper out. You might want to take some notes during this. Um There were a few shows that we've done in the past that I think might be helpful. So if you are tuning in, like say, for example, you searched on iTunes and you found this show, um, which I think is highly likely um, because people are probably searching about student loans and buying homes. Uh, We did three shows on credit, credit scores, credit reporting, the big credit show. um, But there were three episodes, which means there are three freaking hours uh, about credit, which is probably more than you'd ever want to know. But the the dates on those were uh, November 29th, December 6th, and December 13th of 2016. So sometimes it's easier to search by date. And then also, way back when, we did a couple shows on debunking mortgage myths, which were some of my favorite shows because we played the debunking drinking game. Every time we said the word debunk, you had to take a drink. We didn't really, but... We told people that's what they had to do. Uh, And that was April 5th and April 12th of 2016. So that also has some good information about mortgages because really that's what we're, the reason we're talking about student loans is how it pertains to getting a mortgage and buying a home. Um, And the goal of today's show is just to help you understand how a lender views and considers your student loans when approving you for a mortgage. 
and to give you some insight on how to help you achieve your goals, uh, assuming that home ownership is one of them. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, take a break. And then when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about what uh, what the changes in student loans, the student loan scenario in our country, uh, the impact that it's having on home ownership. You know, I went through college. I didn't really, I was lucky enough. I had some scholarships. I didn't have to do student loans. I did one um, in grad school, but was able to pay that off pretty quickly. It wasn't debilitating. Karen, I know you had some student loans. I had, um, I had a lot of student loans. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, I, so I have a, a weird, like, I, I guess I get like old fuddy-duddy, like, well, I didn't have a problem. So why do these kids these days have a problem kind of thing? Um, so some of the studying and research I've been doing has been very eye-opening to realize that college doesn't cost $1,700 a semester anymore, which is what it costs when I went to a very good state school. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I, you know, I I don't mean to sound like an old person, but I probably will. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. We're going to talk about some strategies. So stick around, really good information coming up. You're listening to Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you interested in buying or selling a home? Not sure what the next step is? Deb can help. Go to realrealestatetoday.com and click on Start Here. You'll be asked a few simple questions and Deb will personally contact you to help answer your real estate questions and connect you with a realtor in her personal nationwide network of realtors. So even if you aren't in Deb's service area, you're guaranteed to find a good match wherever you are. Visit realrealestatetoday.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Helen Hillix, Todd Benton, and Chris Reeves. Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Real Real Estate Today. To reach Deb tomorrow or with questions and comments about the show, please send an email to Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. That's Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. Now, back to this week's program. Thanks for coming back. We are talking today about student loans and um, I'm going to read an article. Bear with my voice. It's a little... 
you know, I lost my voice like three weeks ago for about four days completely gone, which had never happened like that completely gone. And it seems to be a little slow. Coming back, I haven't quite you know, regained my yeah, you show sound, choir voice. I was going to say, yeah, you do sound just very, yeah, a little bit more like, like you're on vacation mode. Like you're laid <laughs> back. Like that's you mean the laid back. No. <laughs> drunk down. <laughs> right. Um, so there was an article that came out just a few weeks ago, September 18th, by the National Association of Realtors that talks about student debt delaying millennial homeownership for seven years. And I think I've got this coming up on the uh, Facebook page. Um But I want to go through it because there was some really eye-opening things, some things for me to make me stop and go, you know what, this is something that as a realtor I need to pay attention to. Um, So the article goes, uh, despite being in the prime years to buy their first home, an overwhelming majority of millennials with student debt currently do not own a home and believe this debt is to blame for what they typically expect to be a seven-year delay from buying. This is according to a new joint study on millennial student loan debt released uh, on September 18th by the National Association of Realtors and nonprofit American Student Assistance. The survey additionally revealed that student debt is holding back millennials from financial decisions and personal milestones, and this kind of scares me a little bit, such as adequately saving for retirement, changing careers, continuing their education, marrying, and having children. Uh, National Association of Realtors and the American Student Assistance study found that only 20% of millennial respondents currently own a home and that they are typically carrying a student debt load on average about $41,200 that surpasses their annual income which is averaging $38,800 that's pretty scary thought too Mm -hmm. most respondents borrowed money to finance education at their four-year college and slightly over half 51% are repaying a balance of over $40,000 among the 80% of the millennials in the survey who said they do not own a home 83% believe that their student loan debt has affected their ability to buy. The median amount of time these millennials expect to be delayed from buying a home is seven years. That's a long time. And overall, 84% expect to postpone buying by at least three years. The tens of thousands of dollars many millennials need to borrow or needed to borrow to earn a college degree have come at a financial and emotional cost that's influencing millennials' housing choices and other major life decisions. This is a quote by Lawrence Yoon, who is the National Association of Realtors Chief Economist. And, you know, that stuff trickles down. And that's what was really very eye-opening to me. Um, Sales to first-time buyers have been underwhelming for years now. Think about this. Um, Traditionally, first-time home buyers make up about 40% of our market, our sales each year. Mm -hmm. It's down to 33%. Wow. I mean, that's a pretty significant yeah. change. That's not 1% or 2%, you know. That's, uh, you know, a good probably 20% or so, if I'm making up that number in my head. But uh, so sales have been underwhelming for the several years now, and this survey indicates the student debt is a big part of the blame. Even a large majority of older millennials and those with higher incomes say they're being forced to delay home ownership because they can't save for a down payment and don't feel financially secure enough to buy. Uh, according to Yun, the housing market's life cycle is being disrupted by the $1.4 trillion of student debt U.S. households are currently carrying. Uh, in addition to softer demand at the entry-level portion of the market, a quarter of the current millennial homeowners said their student debt is preventing them from selling their home to buy a new one, either because it's too expensive to move an upgrade or because their loans have impacted their credit for a future mortgage. So I want to, I want to, Stress that because one of the questions that we've been g- getting this year uh, from buyers and sellers is why is there such a shortage of homes in the market? 
we've talked about this on the mm-hmm. show pretty regularly, and we kind of do the math and say, well, population growth is not has been stronger than housing growth, housing starts. So we're not, we don't have enough homes that are keeping up with it. But this is also a reason too, that um, there are older millennials who have bought homes and are kind of stuck now, Mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of times I've seen it, certainly um, couples and one person decides they buy a home, they're both working. Then they have kids. Someone decides to stay home with a kid because of the student loan debt in that situation. They cannot move up to another house. There are a lot of homes like that that would typically be coming on the market but are not coming on the market now. People are just finding a way to stay and make it work. Um, And student loans have um, added to that. So that is adding to the shortage of homes for sale, which is also driving prices up because that housing shortage is driving prices up. So it's... It's a shit show, man. No, it's not that bad. But it's definitely having an impact. And it's a, a topic that I think everybody needs to be aware of and involved in, even if uh, you don't personally have student loans. Um, and then... I mean, I'm going to say, even though I'm in the business to to do financing for people, um, I, I do find it... I, I, I feel better that people are consciously thinking about taking on more debt, if, if they already recognize that student loan debt that they do have, um, you know, it could put them in a, in a binding situation. Mm-hmm. I feel like in my past, I wasn't doing mortgage loans, but the other type of financing I was doing at a bank and people would come in, um, they, they didn't really think about those things. And back then when, if you were in deferment, and we'll talk about that later, if you were in your student loan deferment period and those payments weren't being counted... Um, you know, people were eager to get things, boats, cars, yeah. RVs, and things like that, that they they weren't even thinking about, oh, one day that loan's going to come out of repayment and I'm going to, I'm going to have that additional debt. But- There's a mentality sometimes that is, well, if the bank says it's okay for me to get this money, then it must be okay. Yeah, there is that too, <laughs> yes. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about debt-to-income ratios, and, and I always kind of jokingly say to my clients, you know, the bank's going to tell you you qualify for about twice as much as what you probably should qualify for, you know, so don't, you know, buy into that just because of that. But the other thing that kind of has me worried too is that according to the Lawrence Yoon, the uh, economist, he says even more concerning, it appears that many millennials are putting saving for retirement on the back burner because of their student debt. 61% of the respondents at times had not been able to make a contribution towards their retirement. 61%. And nearly a third uh, said they were able at times to contribute, but at a reduced amount. So when you couple that, they're they're not able to save for retirement or don't feel like they can save for retirement. And they're also not purchasing a home and starting to build that home equity because I think everyone's dream and that sort of expectation is that I can retire with a paid for home and not have uh, a housing cost to worry about. Right. But if you right. don't start doing that at some point, you know, I'm not saying do it when you're 18, but if you don't start doing that early enough, you're not going to get to that point with mm-hmm. a paid for home either. So those two things coupled together, um, you know, I'll be dead when this is going on when they're retired. So I guess that's the right side. Ba-dum-bum. I'll come to the altar <laughs> and I'll, I'll leave a gift for there you, you go. at the, you leave at me the a, community altar. A student loan payment yeah. coupon or something. <laughs> Here you go is her favorite thing. Um, so, you know, this is this is important for, I think, everyone. Um, 55% of student loan holders are saying, that, this is a different statistic, saying that uh, the debt is causing them to put off home ownership. Um, there are 44.2 million Americans with student loan debt. 
And as we discussed last week, we learned there are 325 million (laughs) Americans in the country. So that is about 14% of all Americans have student loan debt. Really? I mean, and and this is including, you know, uh, people who took out student loans. They may or may not have finished Mm -hmm. Um, for one reason or another. They're no longer in school, but they still have that debt. Or it's people who are still continuing pursuing their education. And I mean, it's. It's a it's a lot of debt that is out yeah. there uh, for some of these people, and even after they do graduate, um, it's it is what I'm seeing too is that they may not out the gate have a job that is going to be able. They're still in that uh, building of yeah. what their what their value is with their employer. Right. So, I think one of the most um, unfortunate things that I've when doing my research for this show, I read an article, um, it was kind of a post, an op-ed that someone had written of his student loan experience. And there were, he got a lot of backlash from it because some people felt like he was kind of whiny, Um, you know, pull yourself up and you felt like you had to go to a private school and, you know, that kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. he studied something that wasn't really that lucrative financially and whatever. And I'm not getting into that at all, but I do think that he he was um, taken aback, not really aware of the amount of debt that he was piling up uh, until he graduated and six months later got you know the first letter and then was like, what? There's $100,000 in debt? He really didn't know. Yeah. Going to the financial aid office each semester and just sign paperwork and just kind of figure... You know, the message, I think, is this is what you have to do to get through school these days. And so, you know, this is just part of the ritual mm-hmm. um, of, of going to school is going to the financial aid office and signing paperwork. And so he was really taken aback by that and felt um, a little bit misled by a lot of people. Um, I think that this is the only soapboxy kind of thing I'll say today. I can't promise that. But uh, that I think we need to do a better job of financial education mm-hmm. for um, students in high school. But even, you know, not just senior year, you got to kind of start with the college financial aid and, you know, a, a little bit earlier so that they can start to make decisions on what schools they Absolutely. go to and how they're going to pay for it. And, uh, you know, that's something that uh, I, I feel like I, I see kids not necessarily having that um, information and it's not that they're being irresponsible it's that they don't know you know we always say as realtors it's like no one teaches you how to buy a home and what you need to ask for and how to protect yourself and we wish that there was a class for that kind of thing but I think you know all that financial education and the pros and cons I mean I think people need to know the cons to taking on this level of debt because there are so many millennials that I think are super stressed out sure. by carrying this debt. Um, you know, this guy in the, in the article I'm referring to, he had said that when he first got his first student loan payment was $1,500 a month. Oh, gosh. And he was so like confused and it wasn't expected and he kind of was overwhelmed and, you know, he didn't pay him for the first couple of months because he was like, what the heck is this? He wasn't expecting it. Mm-hmm. And then what's that do to your credit? It hurts it. <laughs> yeah. It hurts it. But I could only imagine opening up that bill and like your yeah, stomach just right. turning in knots. Right. So. so, you know, there's a lot more going on. And I think the solution, I always come back to solutions to things are education based. And, you know, we need to find a way to um, help educate people a little bit more. So when we come back, we're going to do our part in helping to educate people a little bit more. So stick around. You're listening to Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate.
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you interested in buying or selling a home? Not sure what the next step is? Deb can help. Go to realrealestatetoday.com and click on Start Here. You'll be asked a few simple questions and Deb will personally contact you to help answer your real estate questions and connect you with a realtor in her personal nationwide network of realtors. So even if you aren't in Deb's service area, you're guaranteed to find a good match wherever you are. Visit realrealestatetoday.com. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for you with Arvind Vora, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Real Real Estate Today. To reach Deb tomorrow or with questions and comments about the show, please send an email to Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. That's Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi. Facing out because our engineer just told us a really funny joke. Karen, can you repeat that joke? No. I think everybody would like to hear how. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna save that one. I don't no, think I don't think no, I don't have the delivery that. Oh, he has. okay. I'm gonna try. All right, we're here talking about real estate, but uh, I got distracted during break. So, uh, the joke was: Did you know that the first fries weren't cooked in weren't made in France? They were made in Greece. Get it? Yes. Okay. Focus, focus, focus. I have made an executive decision over break, and that is that this show is going to become a two-part show. 
Boom, I said it, I make it so. This is the power that I have. Don't let me get drunk with power. But I think there's just too much here that's really, really important. So we're going to talk today about focusing on how um, student loans can impact uh, your purchasing ability. And then next week, we'll probably talk more about the nitty gritty. Um, Karen's got some great information on, you know, if you have this kind of loan, here's how your student loans uh, can impact it. If you get this kind of loan, here's how it can be impacted. And there's a lot of uh, ifs and if it's like a choose your own adventure. It reminds me of geometry or whatever. It like is a huge, this, no, 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 I have this written. This, then that. It is like, if yeah. you want to know why you ha- took algebra and why you had all those stinking story problems, <laughs> I'm telling you, <laughs> that's what why. this is, right? Because Karen says, I said, Karen, we're going to do the show on student loans. What resources do you have? And she sends me this matrix. Now, first of all, I have to blow it up like 200% because my old eyes can't read it. It's so tiny. But it is literally a giant story problem that says if this, then this, if this, then this. And you have to go through and try and figure out what's the right scenario for your client. It's crazy. So good for you. So we're going to try and help people understand that a little bit so that when they go to talk with their lenders, they can uh, have a little bit of an idea, just provide another resource for it. But I wanted to talk about, we're going to do a little review since we're educating today. Uh, So let's review the three, what I call the three broad factors of, uh, that a lender analyzes when they're qualifying a borrower for a mortgage, and that is credit score, as we know, and then your income, right? We all know that. And I get people in my office all the time that say, well, my credit score is good and I have a good job, so I should be fine. But there's a missing piece. Yes. The oft-forgotten debt. Yeah. Uh, and it's not just uh, debt, but it's debt as a factor of your income. So what's important to understand is that $30,000 debt does not impact two different people the same way. That is correct. $30,000 debt to someone who makes $30,000 a year has a lot more impact than a $30,000 debt to someone who makes $80,000 a year. Um, So that's what I think is important to understand. Uh, Credit score is important. um, And certainly if you miss a payment on your student loan or you don't realize that your repayments start, it's going to hurt you and it can hurt you bad. Do you know my favorite story? On on missing a payment. Oh, my gosh. No, I don't think I've heard this one. I had great clients. I adore them. I've helped them with multiple projects. Um, and But they were moving up. They owned a home, but they needed a bigger home. And we had an accepted offer, went through everything. Wasn't super crazy about the loan officer that they were using, who I don't think is a loan officer anymore. Um, and right before closing, uh, they there was a problem. And I think what happened was he did not realize, they pull your credit again right before closing. Uh, and my buyer did not realize that a loan had come out of deferment. And somehow, like, they were sending the loan information to the wrong address or something, and he didn't get it. And it, he had a 30-day late on his credit report. Oh and they went, eh, nope, sorry. So flash forward, my client is pregnant. My, her, his, it was a couple. So she was pregnant. Um, they had tenants moving into their old house that they were, you know, legally contracted to, you know, let them move in kind of thing and had nowhere to go. And so the seller had already moved out. And so he said, well, you can just rent it from me for a month or so while we get this straightened out. Eight months later. Oh, my gosh. We're like, can we get this closed before the baby's born? 
I don't even know. I can't believe I've never heard this story. Oh my gosh. I tell you, it probably was like nine years ago, but it dragged on for, I think, seven or eight months. And every month it was like, is this going to be the month? Is this going to be the month? Nope. The score score rebound enough? Well, and then eventually at the end, I'm trying to remember the details now, but I think at the end, here's where it got really awful. And and I'm telling you, these buyers were wonderful people and the seller was very patient with us, but... um, the lender was kind of like, I can't do it. I got to get you like a cosign or you need some more money. I have to switch your loan program. And so you needed more down payment money and that can be a gift. So they had to go and confess to his mother. I think they all thought because they had moved in, their families just assumed that the house had been bought and everything was done. They never said we weren't able to close the loan because, you know, I get that. You're kind of saving face and you don't want to really bother. So they had to kind of backpedal to mom and be like, well, we didn't actually buy the house and can we borrow some money? I mean, again, great family. They all love each other. It's all good. Um, but, yeah. It, so, anyways. Moral of the story is those student loans Plus, do count. They'll come back. They'll come just, back yeah. to, yeah. Just like a credit card, um, just like anything else. And and even worse, not that, but they're not bankruptable. I've always heard that. I've had, yeah. I've had buyers or clients tell me otherwise uh, because I, I don't know I where they got I think there's a difference between private and government. Government loans, I think, are not. But they'll just say, well, know. you know, if I don't pay it or, or I'll just file bankruptcy on those loans. And I'm like, ah, I don't know about that. Like, I, I thought that those were a debt that cannot, right. yeah, you cannot just Get rid of. write those off. It's like a dog hump in your leg. You can't shake them off. Um <laughs> There you go. Uh, there was an article that I found that I thought had a really good explanation of debt to income. So I wanted to go over that because it's such an important concept for people to understand. So uh, your debt to income ratio is the percentage which shows the amount of your monthly income required to repay your debts. So for example, if you earned $5,000 a month and you had monthly debt obligations of $2,000, your debt to income ratio would be 40%. Okay, everyone with me? Good. So debt to income is heavily influenced, I thought this was an interesting point, by where you live because rents can be so much higher in some areas as well. So, for example, residents of San Francisco where rents are really high tend to exhibit higher debt to income ratios than residents of, say, Kansas City where rents are relatively low. So um, that also goes to why, you know, there's different housing, you know, the housing markets in, say, Seattle and San Francisco, you know, are very different. Higher cost of living. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, In general, your debt-to-income ratio must be about 43% or less in order to get mortgage approved. Now, that's different, as I understand it, by whatever kind of loan you're getting, but we're going to talk in generalizations for education purposes. Um, And you may find that this figure is too high for your taste, and that's okay. There is no rule that says you have to use your entire 43% of your household income on debts. This is where I was saying that I always tell people. The lenders will qualify you for more. I always love to tell the story of I had a police officer in here once and he was really nervous. He there was a house he liked, it was about one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars, and he really liked it. And he said, I just don't know if I can qualify for that. And he, you know, kind of told me some general numbers. I said, I kind of think you'll probably be okay, but why don't you go talk to a lender? And uh, and I hooked him up with a lender and he actually went right away to see that lender. About three hours later, I was shopping in Goodwill and <laughs> got a text from him and it just said three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And then we laughed and laughed and laughed. <laughs> 
kept because they like qualified him first. So he was like, sure. um, and there's no way. But he ended up buying a house that was about 150. So we got a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but he didn't, you know, you certainly are in charge there of how much you want to use. Um, so there's no rule that says you have to use the entire 43%. It's merely the maximum level at which home buyers can get typically approved. Um, for first-time buyers with student loans, though, using every available piece of debt-to-income may be necessary. And this is because student loans can eat into your budget and redirect monies you'd rather be putting towards housing. Now, that always makes me nervous, and I'm going to guess, Karen, it makes you nervous, too. Absolutely. If somebody's using every single penny. The only reason that I um, would be, and it's not my decision, and I don't, like, tell people. I'm not your money manager. um, But when I'm okay with it is what happens a lot of times is that you have a couple come in, and maybe one of them has tons of student loan debt or a really bad credit score, and they can't be on the loan. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the other one, the mortgage is just in that person's name. And if you stretch the debt to income, you know there's a second income there that's going to help even things out, but it's just not counted on paper. That's really the only time I feel okay about, you know, hey, you're really pushing it. But again, your decision, you buy a house, means you're a grown up. Uh, So for uh, consider that the average college student graduates with monthly debt totaling $300 per month, which seems low. That does seem low. Because a lot of a lot of students have not just their student loans, but they have a vehicle, um, maybe a little credit card. Well, that's there, just student. I think that's, that's just, just a student debt. loan. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I guess one of the things I, I need to remember too is that they're stretching student loans out over twenty five years now, which is crazy to think about. The one I had in grad school was like a ten year loan. Yeah, I think my repayment was supposed to be about 20 was like yeah. pushing it. and I paid it off in three and was like, okay, I'm done. Um, but so consider the average college student graduates with monthly debt totaling 300 a month and add a car payment, a few credit cards, and monthly debt can uh, more than double to $800 a month. If you're assuming a monthly income of $5,000, like we've been talking about in this example, uh, maxing out the allowable debt to income ratio with say $800 a month and other existing debt, the first time home buyer uh, with student loans could afford, according to the loan program, $240,000 if they were doing like an FHA loan, a low down payment mortgage. Um, but that's pretty close to the you know debt to income max of 43%. Um, and so if that sort of payment makes you uncomfortable, which is totally fair, you may prefer to be closer to like a 33% debt to income ratio. But guess what? That drops your home, your purchasing power down to $130,000. So from 240 to 130 and on our market, those are two completely different houses. Yes. <laughs> very, very different stories. So that's how the student loan um, can affect your mortgage uh, loan approval. The more loans you carry, the less home you can afford. Um, I know that's kind of simple and a lot of people understand the concept of debt to income ratio, but it's just so important um, to, to because that's the conversation you're going to be having with your loan officer. All right, we come back. We're going to keep talking about some resources um, that are out there to, um, you know, help manage your debt to income ratio and, uh, and, and share some ideas with that. So stick around. You're listening to Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you interested in buying or selling a home? Not sure what the next step is? Deb can help. 
Go to realrealestatetoday.com and click on Start Here. You'll be asked a few simple questions and Deb will personally contact you to help answer your real estate questions and connect you with a realtor in her personal nationwide network of realtors. So even if you aren't in Deb's service area, you're guaranteed to find a good match wherever you are. Visit realrealestatetoday.com. What makes a great leader? Most have a vision, one that starts beyond the resources available and continues from that point into developing a solid plan, organization, and company. Leadership issues are discussed each week on VoltCast, illuminating leadership with host Jeff Smith. Jeff has years of experience as a leader and executive coach, and his guests will bring you information that can help a team of any size. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Real Real Estate Today. To reach Deb tomorrow or with questions and comments about the show, please send an email to Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. That's Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. Now, back to this week's program. All right, welcome back. We are talking today about student loans, and our focus on today's episode is just how the student loans impact your home buying ability in terms of debt-to-income ratio um, and how it sort of is impacting um, the overall economy mm-hmm. and housing market, which I thought I had honestly, until I read that article, had never occurred to me. Like made I made the connection. No, I had a big giant yeah. light bulb go off in my head. You should put sunglasses on because it's awful bright. Because I was like, what? But yeah, you know, that's probably true. There are people who are staying put. There are people who went back to school and got more loans after they bought their first house. And now they can't do anything. They're kind of stuck. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I have some clients right now that I think are trying to um, move up into a bigger home. And the husband's gotten a really good job. But there's still tons and tons of debt. And I keep telling them, like, you really need to go talk to a lender because I just... I don't have the confidence that they're where they need, where they want to be. Right. right. Um, which I guess is, you know, sort of the overriding theme in this. Um, and I'll just kind of throw it in here. You know, we talk about this all the time, but having a relationship with a lender, it's how you know you have a good lender. If you say, you know, I'm looking at buying probably in a year or two, but I think because of my student loans, I need to sit down and kind of know what my picture is and see if there's any strategies that can position me better in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. The lender who says, sure, no problem, come on in, is the lender you want to work with. The one who's like, I don't really have time for you, call me when you're ready to buy a house, you know, that's probably a sign that that's not the right lender for you. Do you have any thoughts on that, Karen? I will keep my thoughts to myself, okay. but a good testimonial to that is someone that did just that and maybe it wasn't about student loans, but they were like, I don't know, like we're just mm-hmm. trying to get our ducks in a row. They sat down, they weren't planning to buy for another year or so, and then they found the house that they wanted. Yeah. And now they have it. And they were ready to go. So there's really no harm in, in planning early. And I swear, if I hear one more person say, well, are they going to pull my credit? Yeah. Do you get that all the time? I had someone say that yesterday. Oh, Are you going to freaking time. Do you have to pull my credit in order to let me know if I qualify for a mortgage? And mm-hmm. I had to go through like an educational moment with that person to say I did. And what is the impact? Because the reason that people 
question and, and are concerned, I don't want you to pull my credit, is because they think it's going to destroy their credit score by having their credit pulled. They've heard that. Yeah, they have heard that. And what I always share with my clients is what we were told by our credit provider, uh, this our rep from our uh, credit provider service that indicated that on a mortgage credit report that the impact of that inquiry, you may not see that reflected in the scores until about 30 days out. So uh, for someone who was already marginal with their credit, I think that how this guy was yesterday was like, oh, I don't know. Um, I think I'm going to stop. We didn't get very far in Mm -hmm. that. He goes, I think I'm going to stop. And when I feel more confident with where I think my credit is, then I'll, I'll come back and do this. And I just, I just said, okay, because I can't encourage someone to, to apply and I can't discourage someone from applying. Right. So, um, but do you have a sense of what kind of impact it has on your credit score? I don't have, I don't have, like if someone were to ask me, well, how many points will my, will right. my, yeah, I have no idea. I think in overall, I think obviously the better your credit is to begin with, you won't see, in my opinion, that much of an impact. Yeah. Um, but someone who's already maybe credit early. challenged. Right. Yeah. It may have a higher impact on that person. Right. But you know, one of the things that you can always do is pull your credit report, which is different than your credit score. Uh, and you can also, you know, you can get like my credit cards, a couple of my credit cards will say, here's what your credit score is. Now, that's not what it's going to be if a lender, if a mortgage uh, lender were to pull your credit score. However, if you're looking to try to increase your credit score, you know, what gets measured gets better, right? Mm-hmm. So even if you're just using the number off of your credit card company, if that number is going up, then chances are it's going up in the mortgage world too. Correct, right. Um, but I do always try to make people say, understand that that's not the same number. And it's yeah. usually much lower, not much lower, but lower, 20 points lower. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that some lenders might try to tell you to do, and I don't think Karen is one of them, and I certainly am not one either, is how to kind of finagle and wangle your... I love your terminology. Yeah, I have a story about the word wangle. Um, uh, your debt to increase, improve your debt to income ratio situation. Okay. Um, because we're not money managers, and I don't think we want to tell you, you know, I think there are some people out there who would say, you know, well, you can consolidate or you can try to um, defer things or you can lengthen the loan of your term of your loan. I've seen some articles suggesting that you do that. I've seen things like that. And as I mentioned before the show, I've seen um, some um um, comments like not blogs but someone posts like in a forum they, they're asking mm-hmm. questions and then there's lenders mm-hmm. in other parts of the country that jump in with some answers and I, I don't always I don't know I, w- I would know I would just present the facts to someone and say here's where we are with your current situation here's your debts here's your income um, I would never feel comfortable recommending or yeah. suggesting that someone do something that alters that whether it's uh changing their loan terms or refinancing something sometimes that's not up to me to say and I can't guarantee that that's going to improve your situation right. for you to get the loan right I mean this is just like anything else I think in the financial world get rich quick schemes or get out of debt quick schemes just don't typically work well it's sort of slow and steady um, wins the race so uh, you know and I just I'm pretty conservative you know financially fiscally conservative so I'm not going to tell you to I'm probably not going to tell you the advice you want to hear um, 
there are also things like graduated payments. Mm, and yes. I don't know if you're familiar with those. I am a little bit. It's where like you have like some lower payments at the beginning and then over time you graduate to some higher payments and you tend to see those on student loans. Um, but that's not what the lender can count a okay. lot of times. Yeah, and that's I think one of the topics we're going to talk about next week is what is because for a lot of people that payment amount is a moving target or there are people and we had a, a mutual client many years ago who um, went to law school and had quite a bit of mm-hmm. debt as I understood it um, and the he was doing nonprofit work uh, that was his you know main income. Because the debt, was, the student loan was going to be forgiven if he did that nonprofit work for a certain amount of time. I think it's like there's ten years service, or something. What are they called now? I don't know. Yeah, but service related something or other. But um, yeah, I believe it's for ten years. And so, you know, I would never say to someone, "Oh, you quit should your get job a- and go work in a nonprofit world," right? Or 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 you know, get out of that that program and get into a, a you know a regular repayment mm-hmm. on your student loan so you can qualify for a house. Like, yeah, that's just not something that I'm going to do right. as a lender. Right. And so one of the challenges, part of what we're going to talk about next week, was with this gentleman. So he had a hundred thousand dollars in debt, student loan debt, but there was no payment. Well, the lender has to count something. Mm -hmm. The lender can't just ignore that debt. The lender does not. This is the most important part of this entire show today. The lender doesn't just say, oh, there's no payment. Okay, we won't count a payment. They're going to count something. And if there's nothing documented for them to easily count, then they at minimum count 1% of your balance. And so he was $100,000 in uh, debt. He's counting $1,000 a month uh, towards his uh, debt. Uh, that's what the payment amount that the lender uses. And when your income is only $30,000 or so, I think you could qualify for like a $36,000 house. I mean, you know, with something like that was the way that it ended up. So um, you know, my point with all of this is that some of this stuff, if there are things that you can do with your loans, whether it's graduated uh, payment plans or consolidation or whatever, Some consolidation may be good if you can get lower interest rates, Mm -hmm. Um, but those things take time. So you don't pull up a house on Zillow and be like, I love this house. Now I'm going to go talk to a lender. Oh, well, that house will still be here in two months when I get Sally May or whoever to get back to me so I can consolidate my loans. You really need to make this a project that you're working on ahead of time. you know, so that you can really be focused and ready because, like I said, that stuff is not going to happen overnight. Oh, my goodness. So next week, we're going to talk about how those payments are figured. Uh, what are the different kinds of payments? You know, how does a, a lender look at your profile and kind of say, okay, this is the number we're going to use for your payment when it's in deferment, forbearance, income-based repayment plans, and all that good stuff. And we're going to talk about some strategies and some just some suggestions on things to do to get yourself ready. So um, I think that'll be really good information. Thank you so much for tuning in today. In the meantime, if you have any questions, about student loans, post them and we'll try to get you some answers. Just throw them over to me on Facebook is the easiest way to find me at Deb Tomorrow Realtor and uh, and we'll get back with you on that. We'll be back next week with more on student loans on Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. Thank you for tuning in to Real Real Estate Today. Please join your host, Deb Tomorrow, for another edition every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until next week, take care of your home. It's one of your most important assets.